continuing in our Mark series. So if you have your devices or old-fashioned Bibles, I guess not truly old-fashioned, but the book kind, Mark chapter 10. If anyone is using the, the what formerly were the Pew Bibles, and they now need a new name, I guess, but if those Bibles, it's on page 846. Let's read from Mark 10, verses 17 through 31. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. And many who are first will be last, but the last first. Continuing in the passage we looked at a couple weeks ago and maybe finishing it out, wealth in the kingdom. But even though you see that title, this is much more about heart than it is about wealth. That's what Jesus is always after, the heart. Just as we sang, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. We're prone to drift from the heart of God, and he draws us back. I close the last message in this section with his, Jesus' famous words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 619 and following. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, because moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We hear Jesus kind of in the same, the same vein of teaching that he taught with this rich man and then to all of us. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So what has our heart? Are they worldly things, temporary and fleeting, or are they kingdom things? eternal and forever. The Apostle John says in one of his letters, 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. 
The love of the Father is not in those who love the world, these temporary and fleeting, transient things. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride in riches or possessions, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires are passing away. But those who walk in the will of God live forever. Live forever, but begin today can maybe be a summary of the gospel itself, what's being offered to us. Do not love the world. Do not give your heart to it. Have worldly things. Receive them as gifts, even as gifts from the creator God. Possess them even, but do not let them possess you. We only have them for a time. We're meant to be stewards. This rich man went away sad because I think we could easily say, even though the text says because he had great wealth, I think it's likely because great wealth had him. That's where his heart was bound. There may not be a, a, a more important, maybe powerful and poignant encounter in all of Mark for us today than this encounter with the rich man. It still speaks to us, doesn't it? What Will we listen Will we have ears to hear? Just considering perspective of wealth, right? Living on the east side of Seattle in 2022, we have some of the greatest wealth really in, in the history of the world, certainly globally, and sometimes it doesn't even feel like that. If you make $50,000 a year, you make more than 99% of the world's population. And if you make $50,000 a year and live around here, well, you don't live around here. But if somehow you're figuring it out, you feel poverty, you feel poor, you feel stretched. And that's, that's not a global perspective. It's not a historical one. It's a, it's a very localized one. We need a perspective. If you were able to turn a faucet today inside of your home, which was probably also relatively warm or had the ability to be, and you had water that you could actually drink or shower with, if you had a choice of clothes and a choice of shoes today, if you had a choice of what to eat or whether you would skip and wait till the next meal, if you got into a car and, and drove here, these kinds of perspectives in the history of the world, this, this is incredible wealth. And we often don't feel it. There, there's always someone with more, or usually right across the street or down the street or on our news feeds, always more, no matter how much you might have. Wait a minute, my yacht doesn't have a hot tub on its roof. No, a little extreme. Is that show Cribs still on that used to be on MTV? No one wants to answer that because that, you know, but you know, just give away. To, I, there's always something before us that is just an example of uh, extravagant wealth that reminds us of how much we don't have. We need the perspective of God for wealth, and it is always relative. And so may you remind us, God, that we see the wealth that we have and understand the economy of the kingdom that is not the economy of the world. So what must we do to ensure that wealth, as we start to see it, that we do have it, that wealth doesn't possess us, that, that, our, that our hearts can stay free even if we have wealth and some abundantly? We want a list of do's and don'ts, don't we? Do more of this, don't do that, and your heart will stay free of the love of wealth or riches or possessions. 
doesn't quite work that way. But the, the, the man here, the wealthy man here, also was looking kind of for a list. Tell me what I must do to inherit more. Is it possible that he recognized that of all the wealth that he had, he was still unsatisfied at a heart level and was looking for more, wanting more, either an affirmation from Jesus, a blessing from Jesus, to be counted somehow amongst him, to be, to be approved or affirmed. And he goes away sad because he wants both Jesus and that blessing or something Jesus will bring and his earthly position or wealth or status or power. Maybe we don't even want to ask the question. Maybe that's what makes this man and his encounter with Jesus even more poignant to our heart because we see his answer and to truly humbly ask that question to Jesus, what must I do with the wealth that I have? We're fearful of what he might say. But again, this is description of an account. This is not prescription. This isn't what he says to all people. It's what he says to those whose hearts are tied to other things, who are saying they want to truly follow him. And Jesus invites this man to be among them. Come, follow me, he says with the same words that he said to the, the first disciples. He doesn't say that to everyone, though he had many disciples and many in the broader crowds following him. It seems that he's inviting this man to be amongst them, to be that close. Because if he could lay aside position and power and wealth, he would be free to fully find life in Jesus and be amongst him. We remember that Mark's primary goal in this message is to reveal the kingdom of God, the true kingdom of God that is, is now, is here now, it's at hand. Come and receive it, walk in it. It's an upside down kingdom from the kingdoms of the world. We need to reorient ourselves. Just as the last verse we read, the last will be first, the first will be last. What does that mean? The rich will become poor. The poor will be made rich. Children will be honored and elevated esteemed. The religious leaders will be exposed for their hollow spirituality. Let's consider this next section of the passage, verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to, to enter, to walk in the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But he says to them, children, children, how hard it is to walk in the kingdom Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You kids back there threading the, that yarn through those little, that little needle hole? Or can you get one of those little candle, uh, camel figurines through that needle hole? If you haven't been working on that, let me know how that, how that goes. The disciples were even more amazed, greatly astounded. This word is from the root word pleso in, in Greek, which means to strike or being struck. They were struck to the heart. It's like they took a blow at these words. Who can be saved then? If none who are rich or have possessions, which was just like us, everyone desired to have, who then can be saved? Well, with with men, with humanity, in that kind of thinking, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I think what's more striking, even though we, we remember the metaphor, the camel through the eye of the needle, that seems to be what kind of stands out, and, and rightfully so, it's supposed to grab us. It's hyperbole, by the way. I've, I've heard it stretched and pressed and twisted so many ways about what it could mean. It's simply hyperbole. The biggest animal they could probably fathom, the smallest opening you could fathom, it's just, it's supposed to, it is supposed to strike them. 
and make them think then, well, so what is it to walk in the kingdom? And what a contrast that he's trying to make, that this man has everything. And riches, it's so hard for a rich man, not only because of the possessions that may hold him in an earthly way, but if you're rich, you can, you can kind of buy your way into anything. You can solve any problem. You can get what you want. And, and so you could, you, you, what does it take, Jesus? Well, what number on the check? Let me buy my way in. And that it doesn't work that way in, in God's economy. I think what should be more striking and stand out for us is that Jesus calls them children. And if we understand the broader passage here, this is, a, this is an honor at this point. Children. Because what did, he, what did he just say? Unless you receive the kingdom like a little child, you'll never enter into it. He's now telling them, children, don't worry. Like, they're greatly astounded. They're struck. Children, you're, one of, you're here. You're with me. You've come, you've, you have laid aside all things. Maybe for a time, temporarily, but, simp- but a willingness to now walk and walk away from your business. What would, would have been making you money in order just to be with Jesus. Chil- you're one of the family. You're here. Don't fret. You're in. And how encouraging is that to us? Who, when we recognize our, our faith may be weak at times, feeble, fleeting. Is it even there? Considering what we've done or haven't done, what we know or don't know. Remember the disciples, they're still struggling so much to understand kingdom, ethics, economy, values. And Jesus says, children, you're here. You're family. Because you gave everything to be with me. And you're walking with me. You'll, you'll grow with me. Be encouraged as you seek to walk with Jesus. Continue to look for ways to have childlike faith, wanting to make that a theme for 2022. What does it mean to have childlike faith in eagerness to be with Jesus? And with my kids at their age, their desire to be with us is not lost on us. That doesn't last forever, we know, as they are dependent on us, certainly from 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 infancy to toddler age and even up to this age, they are not yet independent. They're dependent on us. That's childlike living. And we're invited to live like that with our God, with Jesus, seeing our true dependence upon him. We need him. We desire to be with him and find joy in his presence. That's what he desires for us. If we assess our, our spiritual life, considering our wealth, sometimes find our faith lacking, maybe we, maybe we would believe that if we, could, if, we, if we would give away all of our possessions, if we would walk in a life of, of poverty, maybe then we would know God more. We'd be closer to his heart. Our, our faith would grow. Our spirituality would grow. Isn't that what this, is, this passage is teaching? I don't think so. I doubt it. I, I don't think that's the priority or the right direction. Now, God may invite us in very specific ways to, to lay down significant things, to follow him, but it begins rightly with the desire to be with him. The desire to be with him leads to then what obstacles are in the way of that for me, for my family, and then we follow in faith what he invites to us. Because if we simply say, I'm feeling lacking, I'm feeling my faith, not, I don't feel close to the Lord, I don't hear him, I'm not in communion with him, and maybe if I'll just, I'll, I'll give away, that's still an action, that's still a do on our part. It's not a receive. It's not a yield. He invites us to walk with him, to draw near to him, to desire first to be with him. And though we can't create that desire, we walk in faith day by day, one step at a time, 
And maybe at some point he calls us, invites us to see the obstacles that continue to block us or the things that draw our heart and to flee from them, to cast them aside that we could be with him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And that's, that's a, in a simple sentence, a vital order for us to receive. First, if you love me, then you'll obey. Then you'll hear my voice. Then you'll do. That comes next, not the other way around. The wealthy should know this priority or this order better than anyone. No amount of wealth ever is enough. It, it, it never satisfies. There's always more. And if it's not more of a desire for, for a number in the bank account, it's for what that could bring, a, a lifestyle, experiences, achievements, a, advancements. Why, why are Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk working so hard still? They don't need more money. But they're driven for something more. They're trying to find ultimate life. They're pursuing it in any number of ways. And their tech advancements may be a benefit to the world, maybe remains to be seen. But they're a picture of men striving and not being fulfilled, not finding ultimate value, though, of course, I can't speak personally to them, and maybe they would contradict that. But we like to look at the rich, whether it's the ultra-rich or just those down the street and say, if I had what they have, I would be satisfied. It would be enough. I would be at ease and peace. And it will not. It will never satisfy because it's an earthly, temporary model. And Jesus has a different economy. As I quoted C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity last time, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world, another kingdom, another ethic. Okay, back to Jesus' statement about a camel passing through the eye of the needle. Why is it so hard for the rich to enter, to walk in? Maybe it's because of the bigness of things that we try to carry through into the kingdom. And he is looking just for our heart. We get hung up on that phrase and we wrestle with it. And even in, the, even in that suggestion, there's maybe a detour that we're not meant to take. And we miss then maybe the most vital statement that Jesus makes in the passage. With human thinking, in your power, in your way, this is impossible. None would be saved. You can't do it. But with God, all things are possible. So what he's saying there is God saves. God saves all. Even the rich he will save. It's up to him. It's not up to their wealth. It's not up to what they can do. It's, it, it's based on the grace and the love of God and his call, his draw to himself. And I'm sure Jesus expected them to protest. It seems like they always do. They're continuing to think of themselves. And Peter trying to put himself forward if if, if this man can't be saved, and, and maybe that, that, that rich man was a devout man. He claims it. Maybe he was known. I think he probably was well-known. There weren't many very rich young men in the, in the region. If this man can't be saved with all that he has and all that he knows and all that he does, who can be saved? Can we be saved? Jesus, we've, we left everything. Remember? Remember we left everything to be with you? He doesn't rebuke them for this. He seems to invite them again, again, honoring them with this phrase, children. But he reminds them that blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the heart, Matthew 5, 3. 
Theirs is the kingdom of God. It's God who saves, and it's by now they should have known the last and the least likely ones are the ones that are esteemed, are healed, are drawn in, the sick and poor, the marginalized and oppressed, the outcast and defiled, and even the little children that society tries to press away. Jesus welcomes and blesses. It's not about religious devotion or following a perfect set of rules or a right theological belief. Remember, at this point, the disciples are still rejecting the crucifixion and the resurrection. They do not believe it. They do not accept it. That seems pretty central to faith in Jesus, doesn't it? And Jesus blesses them, invites them on this faith journey, gives them room to continue to grow, to continue to treasure him above all else. Reminded of the words in in John 6 when at this point, it's probably a similar kind of place. When so many left Jesus, they, they could not take his hard teaching. He looked to his disciples and said, do you, do you want to go too? And Peter said to him, where shall we go? Because you have the words of e- eternal life. You possess the words of life. As much as we wrestle with it, where else will we go? They had learned something of being in his presence and with him. They were beginning to treasure him. As Jesus teaches continually this upside-down world. We must, we must continue to do the work even today to see it, to see the currency of the kingdom, the values, the economy of the kingdom that are very different than earthly ones. So in that day, they, the, in Israel, uh, they would had currency like shekels uh, and in the Roman currency, denarii. And we can look to, to our currency and, and what has value today, which does seem to be shifting a little bit potentially, but Jesus is saying that the kingdom and its values are greater than any earthly thing, even than silver and gold. You must come to learn to treasure the things of God and even God himself. The exchange rate was in the favor of this rich man. Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. That is an incredible exchange rate. And the man didn't get it. He wrestled with it. He, he, he stumbled over it. He wasn't sure. He didn't see the value in it. So, modern example, I'll give you a one-to-one dollar to Bitcoin. Maybe let's rewind 10 years and I'll present that one-to-one. And maybe some of you are forward-thinking enough, but others of us that say, what, what? what is this false currency that seems to be made up? It has no value. A one-to-one. That would be pretty good. And that's essentially what Jesus was saying in the exchange rate. Go sell everything you have in this earthly life and you'll have treasure in heaven. That value overwhelmed everything he had here on earth. But he wrestled with it. He struggled. He stumbled. He couldn't see it. He couldn't gain it. He wasn't sure. And so can we be. In God's kingdom, there's just a different way of of measuring wealth it's interesting here that Jesus says, it's not just, it's not just some future day that you will, you'll, have your, you'll have your treasures in heaven, you know, when we're floating away from this earth and up into the clouds, which is never taught anywhere in Scripture, but we have these images of some out there, somewhere else place that, do I have a storeroom with treasures building up in a stack? Whatever they might be, I, I would love to have something in that day to lay before the throne 
But God's kingdom is here now. And he, he says something interesting. He says to them, everyone, everyone who, who, who I tell you the truth, everyone, verse 29, no, no one, everyone who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father, children or fields for me and the sake of the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times, a hundredfold, there's the kingdom exchange rate, in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions. Great, thanks for tacking that one on there. First, it, 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 we know this isn't true if you're simply looking at, at that exchange rate, right? Many have given up so much to follow Jesus and don't get in this life a hundredfold of everything they gave up. So is Jesus a liar here? Everyone. He didn't just say to these 12, and we know that didn't happen. By, by church account, all of them were, were left with nothing and martyred to continue following in the kingdom. So what is Jesus saying? Again, kingdom economy and kingdom value the hundredfold is kingdom thinking, even here on earth. You're leaving a small life to gain an eternal one. And what we see in Acts as the people of God start to share all things, no one was in want. You leave what you're trying to protect in your little earthly kingdom. You, you don't let that possess you. You lay that down, I promise you, as you follow me. You are joining something far bigger than you can imagine. Forever and forever begins now. Trust me. Yeah, that bank account number may never go back up. You may never even own a piece of land or a property. But most of the things on this list are relational. Father, mother, brothers, sisters, a family. And these things endure forever. This is the kingdom economy and the kingdom value. Jesus doesn't promise ease. He throws in that persecution. Maybe to make sure that they are wrestling with this at a more spiritual level than just, oh good, we laid all this, now we're going to get everything else, which is kind of where they go in the next passage. I want to be on your right and your left. Who's the greatest? And they continue to argue about that, but Jesus says it's not going to be easy. There's persecutions. They will come. The new abundance of the kingdom will come also, but it will come with challenge. And maybe even just persecutions in the heart and the soul of what it means to walk with Jesus, to be in his kingdom. It's, wor it's, it's worldly thinking. It's natural. Our very identity was made for kingdom. It's made for kingdom. There's nothing greater. Because we could say, if persecutions are going to come with following Jesus, if hardship and trial and loss is going to come, wouldn't it be easier to have a little bit of wealth and avoid that? Just... Write out this life. We know that doesn't satisfy. Every example around us in our world shows us that doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fulfill us. It leaves us empty and, and, and languishing and longing. There's something more that we're made for, that we're called to, an incredible kingdom value and purpose and reason for being, to extend God's grace, will, and love to the world to make it known, to walk in it with him that all could know him. We are called to something so much more. As I'm writing this message and reflecting on wealth and reflecting on kingdom values, the values of the kingdom, the, the fruit of the spirit, truly the fruit of the spirit, a life of Love, joy, 
peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are things money can't buy. And if we've lived long enough, we'd say, I'd pay anything. For those first four, for love, for joy, for peace, have patience through this life. There's no number. Many of us pay, pay therapists a whole lot of money to try to get a little sliver of any of that. There's no number. Jesus says, in my kingdom, with me, with a spirit dwelling in you, you will grow to have them. You'll grow to have eternal value. And it led me to think of some of the most joy-filled people that I know. And you know who comes to mind are people that I've met around the world, in the Philippines, in parts of Costa Rica, in Uruguay, in parts of Mexico. Some of the most joyful people I've ever known, and even for a short time, have had some of the least of worldly wealth. I said I would give you a moment. Take a moment and share with someone near you or just reflect who who is one of the most joyful people you have ever known? Share that. Give, give honor and testimony to that person, whether living or not. And then ask yourself or each other, is, was that person also one of the wealthiest people that you have ever known? Go ahead. Feel free to chat for a moment. We're almost wrapping up. Certainly my grandmother Lois comes to mind. She lived a joyful life. I hope you have examples, and, and, and maybe many, people that we would aspire to be like in their, in their joy and that fruit of the Spirit. And my guess is that they had different values and different ways of living that weren't driven by wealth. You cannot serve two masters. I Zoom with a pastor in northern India one, once a month. He, and his, he supports his family of six on less than $3,000 a month, and he's one of the wealthier people in that region, so he gives away so much more. They live in a small little apartment. In his, in his state, uh, it's illegal to be a, a Christian pastor, to proselytize, though he continues. And so some of his closest friends, who are also ministers in that region, have had their apartments recently uh, broken into by the, by the government, ransacked, um, rummaged through, just disrupted completely. They, they've been pulled out into the streets and beaten. And so that's kind of his reality. And so last time we, we Zoomed, he was in a totally different place. And I said, where are you? And he said, well, I can't really say, uh, but I'm not, I'm not at home now. I had to leave. They were, uh, the the gov- government was um, going on raids. I think I'm an encouragement to him. He, sa- he says as much, but I continue to connect with him really selfishly because he is one of the most joyful men that I'm coming to know. With, with this threat right before him and having to flee and sitting there on Zoom by candlelight, just an odd, odd, <laughs> odd picture, he has a huge smile on his face and asks me, how, how am I doing? How can I pray for you? Just a different ethic, a different way And he would probably say, I am abundantly wealthy. I have all that I need and more than I need with persecutions because he has a different way of seeing and his heart is not tied to earthly things. 
And he lives in a way that is, to live is Christ, to die is gain. How do we get there? Well, we don't pursue it and seek it out, and we can't force persecutions to come. They'll come as we continue to walk with Jesus. But so will a kingdom perspective, and we pray a kingdom joy. God help us. What if Jesus was right? It's hard for the rich to enter and walk in the kingdom of God. This is clearly not a call to poverty, but it is a call to humility, to ask the question, to come before our Lord, to present all that we are. God doesn't want our possessions. He doesn't need them. He wants to possess us. Christ wants to be in us and us with him. Will we give him more today? Will we give him more today? God, take my whole heart and help me to give the rest, I pray. Catherine, Tommy, David, you guys can come and help lead us in response. Let's take communion together today as we seek to share at least this meal together. So if you didn't have the elements, you can get them. We'll, take, we'll, we'll sing a couple songs, I'll, we'll pause, then we'll take communion, and then we'll sing another. So be prepared to do that as you are, are led so we can share that meal today and then share a broader taco feast that we will pray and bless. Let me pray as we lead back into responsive singing. Father God, we thank you that you have given abundantly. You have not withheld anything from us. All you have, like the, the, the Father in, in, that, in the story that represents y- your heart of the prodigal, which we are the prodigals. Whether we're the prodigal that went or the prodigal that stayed, our heart is often far from you. And you say to us, like you did to the older brother, all that is mine is yours. It's your inheritance. 